Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to a very special episode of Speaking of the Arts. The focus of today's episode is on how to create and implement new ways of connecting with audiences. It's no secret that audiences learn about and interact with artists in a very different way than they did just 10 years ago. If you're listening and you're interested in new programming ideas, this is the episode for you. Here to share his wisdom and expertise with us is Marty Wilson. In 2013, Marty began his role as Executive Director of the Clarice Smith Performing Arts Center at the University of Maryland. Within his first year, Marty inaugurated a Welcome Back Arts Festival for new and returning UMD students called the Next Now Fest. This multi-day, multi-arts exploration is curated in partnership with students and alumni and features interactive and participatory arts experiences with boundary-breaking local and national artists, shifting the way performing arts is created and experienced. In addition to the Next Now Fest, via his groundbreaking satellite arts partnerships, Marty is creating new programs in collaboration with local arts organizations that provide opportunities for audiences and artists to create and share together. Prior to the Clarice, Marty served as director of the University Events Office and artistic director of Art Power at UC San Diego. There he created and implemented The Loft, a performance lounge and wine bar, the only venue of its kind on the college campus, Wonderland, an international festival of contemporary dance, and the Place Matters Project, the most comprehensive interdisciplinary arts initiative in the university's history. In 2011, Marty was listed in San Diego's magazine's top 50 people to watch. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. What an honor to have you. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here, Mike. Well, the focus of this episode, as I mentioned, is on creating new ways of connecting with audiences. In the intro, I mentioned a few unique programming initiatives you've created over your career, including the Next Now Fest, the Loft at UCSD, Wonderland, and the Place Matters Project. Each of these is incredibly different from one another, but has managed to create a lot of value for the communities in which they reside. I'd love to have you pick apart each one and talk about the creation process. I, I really feel this is a great opportunity for other presenters and even artists who are listening to think about how to connect with new audiences. So let's begin first uh, by having you discuss the loft. How, how would you describe the loft to someone who has never heard of it? Well, the way that we, the language we used was a performance lounge and wine bar where emerging art and um, uh, pop culture collide. And uh, we uh, were very particular to use the word performance lounge, partly because a lot of folks didn't know what that meant, and it allowed us to not get locked into language uh, as if we had said nightclub. People would have a certain frame of reference around that, and we wanted to sort of create a more open frame for people to do some exploring and thinking about what that is. In essence, it's a, it was a hybrid between a nightclub and a performing arts venue. Um, and the idea behind that was to create much more intimate experiences between the artist and audiences. And also there was a very clear focus and intention on creating a context for the delivery of the arts that uh, uh, addressed sort of the, the needs that younger audiences had, in this case sort of college-age uh, audiences had, in terms of wanting to engage, socialize, interact, and be in creative spaces simultaneously. Well, that's great. I mean, what when I'm you know just thinking back to before it all happened, what, what challenges did you initially face um, when you guys were trying to get it off the ground? Yeah, a lot actually. Um, so uh, the great news is we had this opportunity. Uh, someone came to me and said, "We have a space." And Marty, what would you like to do with it? And I began to describe that. 
And I think um, as I was describing this, it was something that hadn't existed before. So part of the challenge is helping folks feel comfortable diving into something, testing something that they're not familiar with. And so if I had said, you know, I'm opening up a nightclub, people could have latched onto that, but I wasn't opening up a nightclub. I was opening up something different. And I was interested, again, in the ways in which the context of the performing arts environment um, can look differently in terms of how we engage audiences. And so there was uh, the challenge of um, articulating the idea to sort of get the, the right backing, both in terms of community backing or in terms of the campus backing or in terms of financial backing. But there were also some very um, interesting um, challenges around the notion of what was supposed to be the case for the ways in which audiences were supposed to want to participate. And so um, <clears throat> some of that came around uh, the curation and development of it. We were really intent on having a multi-curatorial model so that we were training um, and working with uh, students to be uh, curators for the space and to have their own voice so that what was presented on stage was actually reflecting the audiences uh, that we were trying to build uh, because those were uh, members of that audience. Um, on a very sort of practical, uh, mundane level, when we were beginning to uh, create the restaurant, I was very intent that the uh, food would be an artistic experience and a creative experience, uh, as well as what happened on stage, that um, the there was a lot of pushback around uh, something as what seemed to me as basic as that. Uh, the idea being that, well, students just want something cheap. They just want something fast food. We've done surveys. They tell us they want McDonald's and Burger King, not this other stuff. And my my pushback on that was that um, you've just surveyed students what they know, not what's possible for them. And so our job is to provide what's possible and what allows for discovery. And um, and it took sort of uh, quite a bit of pushback to uh, address that issue. And even with the performance as well, when we began to uh, do this idea about, um, you know, where uh, uh, pop culture and, and new work collide, is we began to sort of say that there's all kinds of different ways to look at how the arts can be, that it doesn't have to be in a very particular framework in the way that we presented it before. So it's okay that indie rock pop can rest very easily next to very rigorous contemporary music or incredible global music or classical music. And that those sort of curated experiences actually reflect the way that audiences are more and more, which is they're uh, more interested in more opportunities to explore and extend and participate. Um, and so we had to sort of really build up courage, I think, in some ways with, um, you know, our su uh, potential supporters and audiences and community to recognize that um, those things, it was okay to sort of shift that model and to think differently. Yeah, this is really great because what I'm hearing is from the get-go, you had a specific vision for what this would be. And that was important because as you described some of the challenges that you faced, you really had to hold, you know, hold true to that, even though um, I love your example of there was research conducted that students wouldn't like this. But in the reality, when you thought about it in the context of what you knew it could be, it was important to give them an opportunity 
uh, to experience music in an environment that they didn't really know was possible. And I think that really does say a lot about the vision that you initially had. Well, and it was uh, it was just a fascinating process through throughout because again, um, we're often told what things are supposed to be. We're not often given the opportunity to explore what can be. And what I really wanted to be able to do with this um, is demonstrate that. And an example, sort of, I mean, a lot of the inspiration for the loft really came from a, a number of experiences, but uh, one sort of uh, particular experience where we had. A lot of students coming to our performances for a classical music concert, you know, um, like never before. And <clears throat> these students were untrained and unschooled in, in how to be an audience member for a classical music concert. So we we're applauding between um, movements, and our traditional audience was, you know, quite upset about that. But what was interesting to me is at the end of uh, that experience, that um, you know, students came back to us and said, "I really enjoyed this experience." But I don't understand why the older folks uh, didn't like it because they weren't applauding. And so there was a cultural shift in a way of looking at how you experience the arts, which led me to be uh, this sort of idea that is very clear is that we often think that the arts are dying, and that's absolutely not true. What's dying is the context in which we deliver the arts, and that audiences of all kinds are dying and thirsting for creative artistic experiences it's our responsibility to provide context that allow that to happen. And so with the building of the loft, I wanted an informal space. I wanted one that uh, generated um, social connection. I wanted food and beverage to be part of that experience, but I wanted the food and beverage to be an artistic part of that experience. I wanted when the artists walked on stage, they walked through the audience. When they walked off stage, they walked into the audience rather than backstage and disappear. I wanted to make sure that... Um, that it, there was a sort of multi-curatorial voices, so it wasn't a single voice that was curating, that there were more uh, more presence around what happened on stage. I wanted to make sure that we didn't get so caught up in uh, a, a ridiculous conversation about high and low art, that there are artistic experiences on all spectrums and that it was valuable for people to explore. And in fact, audiences are, are explorers by nature, and so let's uh, provide an opportunity for that to happen. Right. Well, I think a uh, theme throughout our discussion here today could be what you just said, that uh, the context by which performances are delivered is really what's more crucial now than ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I should point out as a side note, I first heard you talk about that particular story um, with the classical, the older classical audiences and the, and the younger uh, on your TEDx talk. And I would encourage anybody listening to Google that the new audiences of performing arts Martin Willison, TEDx. It's a very, you know, great and very revealing sort of uh, discussion that you gave, uh, a lot along the lines of what you're talking about now. So I just wanted to point that out for people listening. Um, why don't we transition now um, to what you're currently doing, and let's kind of pick apart. Let's have you pick apart the next now fest, yeah. uh, just to bring it into context. Again, it's uh, it's in its second year here at the University of Maryland. Um, to start, could you describe what it is and, and maybe how you got the idea for the festival? Yeah, sure. So I um, will have been here at the University of Maryland, the Clarice Smith Performing Arts Center, uh, for two years in uh, September, which is right around the corner, of course. And um, uh, when I first arrived, um, we set about as a, a team within the curatorial staff to do some strategic thinking and planning and reviewing and sort of really clarifying what our values were 
in terms of um, our perf performing and presenting arts program and making sure that we were actually uh, having our actions and behaviors reflect the values that we had. And one of the values for us that um, I certainly brought to the table in my experience from uh, UC Santa Cruz and San Diego and before was this value of uh, finding ways to uh, create opportunities for students to participate in the arts. And so understanding that we are a major public research university, we have a major uh, responsibility to provide opportunities for our students to engage in the arts, I wanted to make sure that we understood that UMD students were a core primary audience for us. So if that's the case, how do we begin to behave and act as if that's the case? So, and it has to go uh, above and beyond sort of providing discounted tickets, right? It has to be creating context within which uh, students are wanting to participate. And so the idea of a, a festival came up, um, and we really took that idea and developed it. And we wanted to make sure as we were developing the idea that, again, how are we going to have student voice present? Not just that we want them as audience members, but we want them as activators and creators as part of the process. Um, we wanted to um, make sure that with, in the beauty of a festival format is that there was a lot of opportunity for um, the audiences and then students' audiences, of course, in particular, to engage in all kinds of different things, to walk in, walk out, test, um, explore, discover, um, to uh, have that opportunity to just sort of dig in and, and, and check things out. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the experiences were, at core, interactive and participatory, not passive experiences. So we wanted to make sure that when we talked with artists or selected artists, we were looking at artists who were doing things that were very intentional around interaction and participation with audiences and even sometimes confusing the role between artist and the audience. And so uh, that's uh, – and we also want, uh, looked at our space and we had to sort of say how do we want to rethink about our space that we use and um, – one of the partnerships we had was with a, a, a student DJ society, and we did for the first time ever at the Clarice a late-night DJ uh, dance party in our lobby, which we had never done before. And there's actually a great story that a staff tells where as we were hanging up lights in the trust in the lobby, and we have a pretty expansive lobby here at the Clarice, that uh, dust started to fall from the ceiling. And it was sort of this metaphorical moment that um, – we were sort of shedding some of our stodginess um, and sort of allowing ourselves to have fun and allow ourselves to be loose, allow ourselves to even invite a little bit of wildness into the environment um, and to take that risk. And um, and I have to say, uh, we had this amazing late night dance party that was curated by um, the DJ Beat Society. Um, and then we also commissioned... Um, uh, students and alumni to uh, develop this um, video projection experience that was um, put on our wall, which actually became a permanent feature of the Clarice, so that we have this uh, visual art experience when people walk into the lobby for performances. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a pilot year. We wanted to test it to see how it went, and it was a smash success. And uh, we had so many students who a had never been to the Clarice before. And B, who said, oh, this is what I want the Clarice to be. 
and that was really um, great to hear. And so our work now is to sort of develop that further as we move into the next next now, which is happening next month. Yeah, I want to pick apart a few things that you said, but before we do, just for people listening, to really sort of uh, highlight an example of how you and your team set the tone for the festival from the get-go, I'm going to read a quick excerpt from what I found on, on your website from 2014, which was the NextNow Fest announcement. I think this is really great. Um, so it goes, for the first time ever, the Clarice Smith Performing Arts Center is kicking off our season with four days of fun and frolic with the Next Now Fest. Discover the next big thing in small, intimate, and surprising environments. Sonic massages, subway buskers, terptastic jazz, deep theater for your short attention span, dance mysteries, late-night art explosions, food frolics, an arts tailgate, and toast, and then something curious. <laughs> and then, and for everybody listening to me reading that, that's how it ends with that sort of cliffhanger. So <laughs> I wanted to read it because... You know, Marty, one of the things I've noticed about you is that you really have a unique ability to enact change within established cultures. And you described when you first got there, uh, the, one of the first things you did was you sat everybody down and said, let's talk about what our values are as a presenting organization and how it relates to what we want to be perceived as. I think something as simple as that is maybe something a lot of organizations either aren't doing or they haven't done in a long time. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that just from doing that simple exercise, you guys have now uh, launched and, and established this new tradition. It's, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, and I would say that a lot of organizations are pretty good at um, identifying their values. I think the trick often comes is then acting our values and acting our values on a consistent, regular basis, not just on a one-time special project. That's a great point. Well, what did you learn um, from doing the first festival that you guys hope to implement um, for this year, which, as you mentioned, is next month? Uh, well, I think the, the one sort of really fantastic thing that we learned is that, um, A, it was possible to do something like this. Um, B, that it, we learned that it could reframe how we could move ahead. I think that there was there's this idea that we can talk about these things, but once I think people saw and felt it, I think that there was um, a sense that, okay, we've talked about this for a little bit of time, but now, okay, now we touch and feel and see what this could be. So it actually became a model of how we can begin to continue that sort of work uh, throughout the course of the year. And, and, and so that was really valuable for us. I think the other thing um, we uh, learned was that, um, again, sort of to reconfirm that students – regardless of their major, are creative and curious and want to participate and want to connect, and they they love the context of the arts within which to connect. And so it again sort of reaffirms that, yes, young people care about the arts and are artistic and creative if we give those opportunities uh, to, to happen. Um, right. What, what, and, so, and, that, and, yeah. that artists, and that artists love – having opportunities to connect with audiences as well, which sounds sort of basic, but um, was just a great uh, thing to discover the number of artists who are doing some really amazing work with audiences. Right. So I think one of the things that I'm learning just from talking to you now and, and uh, you know, from other things that I've read is that you have a um, – how do I put this? You're You're very aware of what's possible when you – let audience when you give audiences again we'll use that word context when you give audiences a context for a new context for which to expand things in other words 
there's never an assumption made that, oh, it has to be this way, and oh, they're not going to like this. I mean, you're, I, I get the sense that in order to make things happen, you're very open to what's possible, and by making sure those possibilities have a, uh, a place to kind of come to fruition. And I think that's really important, especially as you've been pointing out, you know, what, what's different now as it was maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Well, and, and yeah, and also part of that question is I think there's a running assumption for a lot of arts organizations um, for all kinds of appropriate uh, legitimate reasons is that, um, you know, the expectation is that we are going to create and build and do everything we can to bring people into our venue. Um, and so um, part of that question is, well, what if um, we also think about how we get to the audience and uh, a particular example of that within the context of the Next Now Festival was that um, at that time, that year was the first year UMD had entered into the Big Ten Consortium. And so the weekend of our festival also happened to be uh, the second home game as we entered into Big Ten. And typically the Clarice uh, – and the, the football stadium, it's important to note, is literally across the street from the Performing Arts Center – and so what we had traditionally done is uh, closed our doors and batten the hatches whenever there was a home game because they're tailgating out there. Um, and I said, well, what if we actually don't do that? What if we look at that tailgating uh, group of people as a potential audience? What if we go out there and do something with them? What would that look like? And uh, that sort of allowed us to sort of in some ways radically shift what was possible and uh, what we did in that first year was we created um, – uh, we worked with artists who uh, worked with folks in the tailgate to create their own instruments. And then we did this DIY marching band that marched behind our marching band uh, through the uh, tailgate parking lot and into the stadium. And I think that um, – you know, we certainly learned a lot about that stuff, and there's obviously a culture of tailgating that uh, can change from game to game. But I think the very idea that we were willing to say, say, rather than close our doors to an audience that's literally outside our doors, let's open up and be there and try to do something and figure out what could be meaningful. And I think um, that, to me, is the important thing, is that we pay attention to the fact that there are audiences out there if we choose to be with them. Wow, yeah, what a what a great example. Um <laughs> it's fun to think about, you know, being at a football game or a tailgating game event, I mean, and experiencing something like that. Are you guys going to do that again this year? Yeah, so we're doing the uh, Arts Tailgate again this year. We're going to reframe it a little bit differently, and we've got different uh, sort of space crafted out because we have a partnership with our folks in athletics that have been very excited about this. I mean, our large idea there, I think, over time is that uh, it would be wonderful for this to be a, a tradition that as uh, the University of Maryland is part of the Big Ten, that our uh, home games also have a creative component to them. Um, and so um, – we're still working on uh, developing that and that partnership. And it does make a difference whether the home game is an afternoon home game or an evening home game. The <laughs> the audience is very different depending on the time frame. So, you know, we lear we're, we're, you know, learning about the audience out there, which is a great thing for us to be doing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, geez, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm definitely aware of our time here. Before we talk about a few other things that you're doing, what what, what advice would you have for anyone listening who, who's interested in doing something similar like the Next Now Fest 
if, if there was just one or two things you could think about to say, you know, make sure you're aware of this, or I wish we had done that, or we're going to do this this time. I think uh, number one is be very clear about the audience that you want to build. Um, to not say, I want everybody to come. to be, And we do want everybody to come. That's true. But uh, we don't have uh, – no organization, large or small, has the resources to, uh, you know, go after all audiences, you know. So to be very intentional about the primary core audiences you want to build, take actions around that, to be um, engaged and participatory with that audience. So how do you invite them into the conversation about what they want and what's what's of interest to them? Um, and I think to allow uh, more voice into the creative process, that it doesn't have to be a presented product, but it can be a collaborative creative product with the audience. Right. Well, let's transition then here, um, talk about a few other things that you guys are doing. So, again, as mentioned in the intro, you've also implemented a, a, a new way of connecting with artists in the College Park community and beyond. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the Satellite Arts Partnership you created? Yeah, so the Satellite Art Partnership idea was also born out of these early discussions about our values and um, that one of the values, of course, uh, in addition to the core audience of UMD audience was that we wanted to have a meaningful impact and engagement with the audience that lives within what we call our creative radius, or basically a five-mile radius of the university. And so... Um, and we also wanted to be, because we are a major performing arts organization in our region, we also wanted to be not just uh, a big entity. We wanted to be um, active in supporting and nurturing the local arts ecology. So, um, And we also understood that we weren't necessarily attracting uh, that audience um, from that five-mile creative radius. And so I wanted to uh, explore some partnerships with local arts organizations that had already demonstrated good work in developing those audiences. And so um, we chose to uh, explore uh, with a couple of uh, arts organizations and community organizations some possibilities. And behind that, the idea of the arts Satellite Arts Partnership is, um, A, that we're, again, going to uh, be multi-curatorial, that we're going to make sure that as we create programs, that we are going to create programs that include the voice uh, of our audience and our community uh, in this partnership, that we want to make sure that uh, however we create this, it's going to uh, engage audiences and artists in interactive participatory ways. So it wasn't just sort of creating a, a performance program where you come and sit down, but we wanted to make sure that that interaction was part of the process. We also wanted to make sure that... Um, the, the partnership was reflecting and building upon the mission of our partner um, so that it was uh, furthering their ability to survive and thrive and to meet their mission in the same way that it was going to help us survive and thrive and meet our mission. Uh, so one of them was with the amazing Joe's Movement Emporium in uh, Mount Rainier. It's been around for 25 years and is a dance-based uh, community center. And we created a program called Next Look, which was providing uh, time, space, and uh, dollars for local and regional artists to create and develop new work. Uh, but to do that in a, a residency context where audience members were invited into the process and were providing feedback throughout the process. And I should also say the Satellite Arts Partnerships were also focused on creating opportunities 
um, for local and regional artists, uh, which is again going about how do we help sustain the local arts ecology. One way is to make sure that we're bringing national and international artists in our community, but another way is to make sure that we're doing good work in helping local artists to create and develop and collaborate. Uh, the other partnership was with Busboys and Poets um, in Hyattsville, and that was a program called Common Tone, which is um, providing an opportunity for young artists, mostly classically trained, but who are working across uh, musical boundaries, not only to create the repertoire for the evening, but we also ask them, in some cases, to create the physical program uh, evening, to design it, to write it because it's a, in a restaurant bar environment. Um, in some cases, we ask them to design a menu that complements, if it's appropriate, the program that they're gonna be doing. We ask them not to just perform on stage, but to um, talk to the audience on stage. We also ask them, you know, when you go off stage at intermission and at the end of the program, to walk into the audience, not backstage, so that they're basically, as young artists, learning how to be comfortable with the audience, that they're learning how to hone their marketing and fundraising skills and friendraising skills um, as artists. Um, and so that's been really exciting that um, those two um, we piloted last year and we're continuing to actually expanding this year. And then the third thing is actually on the horizon, which is um, what we're calling at the moment an art house, which is a restaurant and wine bar and performance space um, in College Park. Um, that's going to be a partnership between the Clarice and um, uh, a commercial partner from Philadelphia, actually, a Milk Boy from Philadelphia. Um, <clears throat> and this is actually going to be an off-campus venue that will include uh, about 150-person cabaret space in addition to the restaurant and the, the, the bar, and then a, a flexible space that's about 350 to 400-person. Um, and it is going to be, I believe, a way to change and a shift the food and dining experience for our students in our community. It's very much a campus community collaboration. And it will also become an arts anchor in College Park that will, I believe, help us be actively engaged in helping to develop the arts ecology in, in our College Park um, community. Very exciting. Uh, is this, I don't maybe you mentioned it. Is this opening this year or the next season? Uh, well, our hope is that it'll be open a year from now. So okay. if all things go uh, according to plan, <laughs> that about a year from now we should be opening up. So that's the, that's the hope at the moment. Yeah. So well, it is very exciting. But, yeah, and you know, in, in in a way that the loft was its only thing of its kind on the college campus. This is really the only thing that I know of that's a collaborative partnership between the campus and the community that exists in this way in the arts, um, which is also very exciting. And I have to say that um, it's great to be part of a university that has leadership that's very much committed to uh, care about the community and that, 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 uh, and that part of that care is that the arts is vital to uh, community development and community relations. Right, and, and yet another just perfectly good example of of how people can think about context and, and what that means. And, you know, things don't have to be so siloed and how can you kind of break down the traditional barriers for where people expect to see the arts. I mean, it's such a good example. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's about that, um, you know, the Clarice is going to be, with the Satellite Arts Partnerships, that the Clarice will be off campus and that the Clarice will be in the community where 
the audiences are that we want to build relationships with and um that even that simple act of going to another place can can be quite radical and quite challenging you know from a cultural perspective for an organization but i think we also find that once we begin to do it that it's very it very freeing but um it does it shifts a lot of our typical assumptions as we begin to do that right well boy i could just keep asking about this stuff all day long this has been really really revealing and i've definitely learned a lot um maybe to sort of wrap up here uh, what you know, your fifteen sixteen season is about to launch. What, yeah. Can you give us a few highlights, or who you know? What are you excited about that everybody listening should really check out if they get the chance? So, with that question, uh, I'm excited about it all, but I know that you want me to sit there and think about. But I, I am I, I, I am particularly excited about a couple artists. Um, well, actually, I am excited about them all, but some that sort of stand out in a particular way are uh, Tanya Tagok. She is from Arctic Canada. She is a uh, um, uh, uh, an amazing, incredible performer and musician. She uh, recently won the Polaris Prize in um, Canada, and I don't think that um, you you will not have experienced uh, an experience as you would listening to and watching and. Uh, experiencing her uh, vocal work it's um it's 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 guttural it's deep it's emotional um and uh she is very committed to uh native practices and she's very uh articulate as an artist about thinking about how her art can engage people in difficult conversations um, and in this case, again, a lot about uh, the, some of the challenges in Arctic Canada around native hunting practices and encroaching Western, is, Western values on those um, those practices. So she is, um, I think, of just a, a, a towering artist of immense power, um, and just sort of sinks into you at a very sort of core level, at you know every bone and fiber in your body. Uh, uh, the other artist that um, I'm really super excited about is uh, from Taiwan, is Huang Yi, and uh, he's working with an artist uh, called Kuka, but it just so happens that Kuka is an industrial robot, and so Huang Yi is a choreographer who uh, does choreographic dance work with an industrial robot, and what's um, fascinating about that is that that could sort of easily become a gimmick in a way, but the 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 skill that he has in in the work with uh, Kuka that it really does as an audience member it really shifts your uh understanding perception of how unfar apart machine and man are right now and how closely aligned we are in terms of uh attributing human qualities and even human emotion and even human soul into machines as they become part of our lives. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's sort of like high-tech puppetry, but uh, and it has a way uh, to sort of help audiences really see the inextricable link we have with machines in a way that didn't exist even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? Um and then the other artist that I think is good, is really terrific is a guy named Edmar Castaneda from Colombia. He's a jazz musician. He uh, plays the harp, and um, he is 
and you, when you think of jazz, you do not think about the harp, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so he's a person who's literally reinventing, uh, you know, and redefining jazz because of his work with that particular instrument. One of the things I love about jazz in particular is it's so, so responsive to, uh, uh, to to cultures and to musicians and to people and and so uh he comes um from Colombia with this harp and begins to reimagine uh for not just audiences for other artists what jazz is like and uh, just a stunning stunning musician excellent well you've given me some uh uh things to certainly check up on Wani and uh, Tanya and um you know i think that there's been a great uh, amount of uh, value to what you've been describing here. So I, I want to thank you so much, Marty, for your time and participating in this. It's been a very, very great discussion. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I, I mean, I love what I do and love the people I'm working with, and the, um, this is really fun for me to to do this. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.